Good morning. Bless. I'm blessed this morning to preach a lesson. It's good to get aimed at myself. It's a majority of the lesson. It's someone else's. But uh, they didn't mind me using it and critiquing it a little bit, I guess. I didn't say protecting, I was critiquing it just, just a little bit this morning because there is always something that we can learn from if we look at it. When we're riding down the road, we can see certain things. We can see signs or hear people make certain comments. But we need to focus our minds on thinking of how we can use everything for God. My text this morning is going to be Exodus chapter 8, the first 15 verses. We often laugh at procrastinators. And I don't laugh at them, but uh, I've heard of a procrastinating club. Their motto was, why wait? Procrastinate now. <laughs> of course, the club never got together. I could probably be your president. Especially work But they were constantly postponing their meetings. Procrastination can be a very destructive habit. We need to, as we studied in the first hour, there's things that we need to do in our lives. A lot of things we don't need to have in our lives. Procrastinating on the Word of God is one of them. <clears throat> but there's several stories in the Bible that teach uh, the prevalent of uh, foolishness of procrastination. The account in our text is the second plague that the Lord sent upon Egypt to influence the Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. Exodus chapter 8 verses 1 through 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, Behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, your bedroom, on your bed, in the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, and on your people, and all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, caused the frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magician did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you and your service, and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you and from your house and your service, from your people. 
They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out uh, from Pharaoh. And Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the promise which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the house, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them, as the Lord had said. We see here that it took a lot of frogs being spread out to get this man's attention. You know, it's bad to have just one little frog in your house, but can you imagine everything covered in these frogs? <laughs> but notice the thing here that the Pharaoh was given the honor, according to verse 9, the Pharaoh was given the honor to choose when the frogs would leave. Common sense would say immediately. But here the Pharaoh said, tomorrow will be fine. I had a palm tree in our front yard years ago when the girls were little. I dug around that palm tree for a while. Probably over a week I was digging around trying to dig that palm tree up. Then I got a wild idea. I had a, a new Dodge Dakota, a little small truck. I just wrapped a chain around it, wrapped it to my bumper, pulled it up and be done with it. Curly, as a small child, asked me, Daddy, are you sure you're going to do that? I said, sure. I got plenty of power in that Dodge. Well, the tree shook a little bit, but the trailer hit, the ball come off from the bumper, the bumper <laughs> come loose and all, but got it dug up. Then I just got mad, got me a chainsaw, and just cut a uh, palm tree up, and I got looking at it. That's a lot of work covering the hole up. So I put a piece of plastic in it, made a nice little goldfish pond. Didn't have very many fish in it, but I probably had four or five hundred frogs, it seemed like, in it. <laughs> Probably about 25, 30 feet from our bedroom window. And I why Marcia didn't enjoy it, but every night about 9.30 to about 2 o'clock in the morning, they all commenced to singing, talking, to arguing, and you could hear it for a while. I figured the neighbors would probably call me, but it went on for a while. We had to get rid of those frogs right away, and I just can't understand why this sparrow would want to wait another day. But don't people do the same thing today? When our neighbors are lost in sin. Other than the lost condition of friends and neighbors, we have to ask ourselves, does the lost condition of friends and neighbors trouble us as it was to Paul? Romans chapter 9 verse 2. Romans 9 and 2, he said that, that I may get great sorrow and unceasing relief in my heart. That I may get great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we doing about it? All we're saying, I'll talk to them later. I'll talk to them tomorrow. You know, the thing about tomorrow is tomorrow never comes. When tomorrow gets here, it's called today. We can't procrastinate doing God's work. There are certain things, and it kind of brings, well, I don't know all that story. It's a brand story in mind of a young farm boy who accidentally overturned his wagon load of corn in the road. Now, the farmer who lived across the street from where the wagon flipped over, he came out to investigate it. And he hollered, hey, Willis, 
forget about your trouble for a little while. You look tired. Come and have dinner with me and my family. And then when we get through with dinner, we'll rest a few minutes and catch up on old times. And then we'll go out and we'll help you upright your wagon and reload all your corn. Well, that's mighty nice of you, Willis replied, but I don't think my pa would like me waiting to flip this wagon over and reload this corn. Oh, come on, son, the farmer insisted. Finally, the boy said, well, okay, I am kind of hungry and I am tired. But I don't think my pa's going to like it very much. Now, after a a good dinner, good visiting with the, the neighbors and all. Willis thanked his host and he said, I feel a lot better now. I'm rested up, but I just know Paul is going to be really upset with me. The farmer said, oh, don't be foolish. By the way, where is your Paul? Willis shook his head and said, under the wagon of corn. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> See, there are certain things we don't need to procrastinate and put off. When we're talking about putting stuff and doing stuff, we need to think about the church in general. When the church is not what it's supposed to be in form or function. Now, like Moses building a tabernacle, a Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, who served a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God. When he was about to erect the tabernacle, of course, see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The church must follow a God-given pattern in all things, not just in some things that are convenient. But often we see something that needs correction. We see something that the church should be doing that is not, or something it might be doing that it shouldn't be, and we just let it go. When we do stuff like this, it is sin, and no end shall enter into heaven. After all, that's the way it's always been. One more night with these frogs. We may also put up with false teaching, which is spiritually hurtful. 2 Corinthians 11, 4, and 19, and 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 tells us, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not received, you bear it as beautifully. Now, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 19 and 20 says, For you, being so wise, bear with the foolish gladly. For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, he hits you in the face. It's a New American Standard Version. Now, the result of putting off correcting error is often as the entire congregation makes shipwreck of the faith. And it says we allow false teachers to slip in on us. Now be careful who you associate. Without wisdom, we may be led away by the smoothness of the words. And I say we, I'm talking about churches we're all uh, in general. False teachers doesn't come into our midst dressed in red suits and carrying a pitchfork in their hands. They may come in as humble men of God, their, but their aim is to become lords of the arrogance such as seen in their actions. That's the type that we need, that everyone <coughs> needs to flee from. You can't hold a fire to your breast and not coming away smelling like smoke. It's another story about a steamship. 
It was called the Central America. It was on his voyage from New York to San Francisco, sprung a leak in mid-ocean. Now a nearby vessel, seeing her signal distress, bore down and headed straight toward her. Now perceiving the, uh, the danger to be immediate, the captain of the rescue ship spoke to the, uh, the captain of the Central America ship and said, what is amiss? What's your problem? He said, we are in bad repair and we're going down. Lying wait till morning was the answer. The rescuing ship called by and said, let me take your passengers on board now. But it was night and the commander of the Central America did not like to send out his passengers away. Least some might be lost. And thinking that they could keep afloat while longer replied, lie awake till morning. Once again, the captain of the rescue ship called, you had better let me take your passengers on board now. Lie awake till morning was sounded back. About an hour and a half later, her lights were amidst. And though no sound was heard, the Central America had gone down and all on board perished because it was thought that they could be saved at a better time. There is no better time to be saved than the presence. When we are burdened with the cares and the troubles of life, we know that we can turn all these things over to God and he will handle them for us. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 tells us to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer Supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. What has worrying ever accomplished for anyone? But often, for some reason, people want to spend just one more night with those frogs. You know, there are many ways that we can forfeit the peace that God offers us. We can resent God's way. Worry so much as much as possible. We can pray only about things that we can't manage by ourselves. Refuse to accept what God gives us. We, when we're looking for peace elsewhere than in God. When we try to rule our own lives or when one doubts God's word. When they carry all of our our concerns and our burdens on ourselves, instead of turning them over to God, we are forfeiting the peace that God offers. When we're living with sin in our lives, the wreckedness of one who basically wants to do right, but continues to live in sin is described in Romans chapter 7, verses 19 through 24. Romans 7, 19 through 24 tells us, For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good, for I joyfully conquer, concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Sin is so destructive that if we leave it alone, it becomes like a cancer. A flesh-eating bacteria. The question here is, how long 
Would you leave it alone before taking drastic steps to save one's life? <clears throat> we see one suffering with a medical condition, and we know what would help them. We're pretty quick to jump out and tell them, aren't we? Hey, try this here. Have you tried this? What about when we see someone living in a sinful life, dying a sinful death? We study God's Word. We know what's going to cure them. How often are we, and how fast are we to jump out and, and share that knowledge with them? It's like a, a hitchhiker that was in the news a while back that got trapped under a rock and he cut his hand off because he knew that nobody knew where he was. He could lay there and perish, cut his arm off, and live. Paul feared that even among the Corinthians, he would find those who had not repented of the sins that they had practiced. Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. And were thus living with more, one more night with those frogs. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 and 21 says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to be not that I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, dispute, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbance, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, the immorality, the sensuality which they have practiced. How many times do we do the same thing? When living without hope, without Christ, without God in our lives. Before one becomes a Christian, he is in the category of those that Paul described in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians 2, 12, he said, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Those who Paul preached to in Athens were totally lost, not even knowing the identity of the one true God. Paul revealed him to them, yet they told Paul, we will hear you again on this matter. Acts 17 32. They were wanting to serve at least one more night with those frogs. <coughs> Acts 24 and 25 Felix was in fear of his condition yet he wanted to wait for a more convenient time. The only convenient time that God's word tells us that we should wait for is the presence, the here and now. Just one more night with those frogs could make the difference where you spend eternity. Acts 24 and 25, as he was discussing righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Philip became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. In other words, when I decide that I need God, I will call you. We're seeing the same thing in a sense that we put off becoming a Christian. We should seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near, Isaiah 55 and 6. Isaiah 55 and 6 tells us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And in closing, God gives us the strength and the courage to rid ourselves 
of those frauds today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, In a simple time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's very sad, and I hate ending on a note, but hopefully it gets you thinking. I've heard of the situation, I'm sure that each and every one of us here have heard of it, probably even experienced it. But you ever talked to someone about God, worked hard on them, try to get them to become a child of God, get forgiven of sin, they'll say, I'm too bad of a person right now. Oh, I know what you're saying. I want to do it. But when I get straightened out, I'll come to church. Only for that person to be straightened out in a coffin when they come to church. I want you to ask yourself, don't answer, just ask yourself, do I know anyone that's in a lost state? Do I love that person? Then I want you to ask yourself, why haven't I already talked to them about God? Now I want you to look at your own self, our own selves. If we need to be baptized and become a child of God, now is the only convenient time you may have. If we have been baptized, become a child of God and stepped out of his way, now might be that only convenient time we have to get things straight. Only you and God knows your heart. Know if he calls you within the next few seconds, you're ready to go. If you're not sure you're ready to go, you should be. We ask you to come forward. It's time we'll stand the same. Our song.